listening to the White Oak Houston podcast, the official podcast of White Oak Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. White Oak exists to help people come alive to the wonder of the gospel and fully follow Jesus. For more information, please visit us online at whiteoakchurch.net. Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. That's the key verse. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated at this time. Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you as always. Amen. I feel like every Sunday I feel like this, but it's just the truth, like, I don't want to stop singing, you know? (laughs) I'm always excited about my sermon, but there's just something about music that is so special. And we have a wonderful worship team that leads us in music every week, and so, uh, but this morning we're continuing our series entitled A Great Commission, where we're studying for five weeks The Great Commission And the reason why we're taking five weeks to study literally five verses is because, like I said earlier, of all the good things that we can do in life, there is only one great thing. And that's why the church has historically referred to what we just read as the Great Commission, because if we really want to love people and if we really want to help people in this life, we must lead them to Jesus, We can help them with individual problems, and as I always say, play whack-a-mole with problems. You fix one problem, another problem pops up. But we believe there's, there's one name where every problem, every issue, and every longing is met, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. And so in a great commission, we're talking about why we make disciples of Jesus, but also how we make disciples of Jesus And yet this morning, I want to focus on a verse in this passage that I believe we often overlook because for much of my life, I've overlooked this verse. And so I want to look at uh, Matthew 28, verse 17, and I want to preach to you a sermon today entitled, Great Gatherings. And what I want to do today is I want to explain to you why we're here right now, why the church gathers, because I think that we gather, but so often I don't think we really understand what we're doing And it's my hope and prayer that when I'm done this morning that you will see literally everything that happens during every second of this service is really meant to do something very deep, very intentional, and it's supposed to be changing us as well as the people around us as we minister to them. But one of the things I love about being the pastor of White Oak is I know you guys very well. Um, If you're a member of our church, I know you. If I don't know you personally yet, maybe you're a newer member, but uh, Pastor James and I have the privilege of knowing people, and we get coffee with you, and we talk with you, and we hear about how your life is going. And a lot of times when the pastor reaches out, people get kind of scared, you know, like something's up, you know, which to me, I feel like I'm a normal person, but I guess to you, I'm like an abnormal person because I'm a preacher man, right? And when the preacher wants to get with you one-on-one, people get scared, right? Um, But normally when I get with people one-on-one, I just want to see, man, how's your life? 
how are you, James and I call it hard data. We don't want to assume that we know what you're doing. We want to know actually where you're at. And one of the things that I often ask people um, is I say, um, why do you go to church, right? And I think people often have various different answers to this. And so over my past five years of being a pastor, I want to give you some of the top 10 reasons of why people will often say they go to church. Some are funny, some are cool, but I want to give these to you really quick, right? So, so my question to you this morning is, why are you here? And possibly one of the things I'm going to cover here in a second will be you. So the reasons why people often go to church, number one, it's the right thing to do, okay? It's just the right thing to do. I'm a good Bible-believing American, right? So on Sunday mornings, you know, after waving my flag, I go to church, right? That's, that's just what I do, right? I mean, why would I not go to church, right? It's the, it's the right thing to do. So I'm just here because it's like a moral plus, you know? Number two, I would feel guilty if I didn't, don't raise your hand, right? But I know it's a lot of people. I would feel guilty if I didn't go to church, right? Because, you know, if I, if I didn't go to the gathered church and I, if I sat at home in my PJs, watching Netflix, uh, eating Lucky Charms, I would feel guilty, okay? Like I know they're singing and the word's being preached and I'm sitting here watching my favorite show on Netflix is Blue Bloods. But whatever your show is, right, you would feel guilty, right? And so I don't want to feel guilty. So I just get up and I just go to church. Number three, this is a common one. My parents slash spouse wants me to, okay? That's why I'm here. I'm not here because necessarily I may want to be here, but because somebody wants me to be here. I call this a holy hostage, okay? <laughs> like, you didn't get kidnapped by ISIS, but you kind of got kidnapped by Jesus, right? And so it's like, and, and, and like, you can't say this because it's like, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like you can't say anything because the person that, that has you hostage here will kill you if you say, I don't really want to be here, right? So you put on the smile, you come to church, you shake some hands, but really, it's because either your parents forcing you, you're not of an age to make your own decisions yet, or a spouse or somebody wants you to be here. Number four, my kids need to be in church. This is a common one, right? My kids, I don't need church, but my kids need church, okay? I've got it all figured out, right? But my kids need to learn a thing or two, right? Because they'll be better kids and more moral people, right? Number five, I'm here because I need something, right? And this isn't necessarily a bad reason to come to church, because I got a need in my life, I got a problem, I got stress, um, I need some money, and I know church folk are more likely to give me money because they feel like they have to support my needs than other people in the world. So I know if I come to church, right, um, I have a good chance of getting what I need. Number six, I like the music. Don't you love the music here? Wasn't that amazing this morning? <laughs> Lindsay and the team do an amazing job. I like the music. I love the vibe. I love how beautiful it is. I love singing. So that's really why I come, because I like the music. Number seven, why do you go to church? To learn Bible stuff, okay? It's like, I want to learn information. Um, I'm going to share a story with you today from Luke chapter 7, and you might have never heard this story before. It's not a super popular story, so maybe you'll learn something from the Bible today. Number eight, to hear a funny sermon story, right? You like it when the preacher has a funny story, but I hate to tell you, I don't have a funny story today, so I'm sorry. If you want to check out and leave, that's fine. If that's why you came, you can head out now, grab some coffee on your way out. Um, this is not going to be a funny sermon, okay? Sorry about that. Number nine, it's just what I do on Sundays, right? Some of you are like, man, I haven't really thought about it much in 30 years. I just go to church on Sundays. I, it's just what I do, right? I'm like a Jesus robot, you know, on Sunday mornings. Like, literally, I could try to not go, but somehow my body and brain would land me in this service, okay? I'm like a holy hostage to my past, if you will. It's just what I do. And number 10, maybe one of the best reasons is to see my friends. Do you, do you like somebody in this church? Is there someone in this church you love to see? Why don't you give them a round of applause? Give your friend a round of applause. 
Where, where, where are my extroverts at? Raise your hand. Where are my extroverts at? Right? You love seeing people. Introverts, you just kind of push through, you know, because it's a good thing to do. Introverts like seeing people, but it drains them, right? So you're getting drained, but my extroverts, I'm more of an extrovert. Man, I'm vibing this right now. I'm getting pumped up, you know. I'm going to be more energized after this than less energized. And so we often go to church to see our friends. And while all these reasons are not necessarily bad reasons to come to church, I just want you to know this morning that they're not enough. And it's not the real reason why we gather as the church, And so if you're wondering what is the biblical reason or as I grow in my faith, what should be the reason that I I give in my heart and to tell other people as to why I go to church, I hope God would move you in this direction that the reason why you go to church is summed up in one word. It's worship. I go to worship Jesus. I hope I get something. I know God is faithful. I know he's going to provide for me. I know I'm going to get something out of it. I know I'm going to benefit. But I'm here to worship Jesus the name of Jesus because he is so good and he is worthy to be praised. But let me tell you the problem with that really quick, if you don't mind. The reason why that's hard is because worship is a very difficult and confusing term. And let me give you two reasons for that. Number one, worship can be a tough thing to understand because the world doesn't really use the word worship, right? At best, they use it like a joke. You know, it's like I went to this, I got a, there's a new taco at Taco Bell and it's amazing and I worship it, right? Or we use it to like degrade a guy who gets a girlfriend and he bails on all of his friends, just starts hanging out with the girls. I mean, he just worships her, right? We use it as a joke, but it's never like a serious conversation in our culture or our normal everyday life, right? There are not people that you're going to talk to at the water cooler at work and be like, hey man, how's the Astros? Good, man. What you been worshiping with your life? You know, like nobody, nobody says that. It's like, how, what you been worshiping recently? Man, I want to evaluate my worship in this life. Nobody says that. But the reality is today is that everybody worships something. And if you're in this room, maybe, and you're, you're new to Christianity, and you're not sure what it looks like to worship Jesus, and you think it's weird that we're, like, singing songs and lifting our hands and preaching from the Bible, like, I, I understand that's new for a lot of people, but you need to know something today. Like, you're worshiping something with your life. You're probably worshiping maybe money, but it's not going to satisfy you. You're worshiping yourself. Your whole life is built around making your life better, realizing your dreams. Your end goal in life is for you to have a good life, so you worship yourself. Maybe we, we often worship pleasure. We want to feel good in this life, and so we pursue things that make us feel good. We worship status. We want people to think that we're amazing. We worship success. We want to feel like we've accomplished something with our life. We worship relationships. We're often codependent upon other people and our happiness is tied up in the way that other people respond to us. But what Jesus came to show us is that nothing will satisfy you other than worshiping him. And I think another reason why worship can be hard to understand is because often in the church, we define it many different ways. I remember when I was in college studying theology, um, and I've said this before, of every term that I felt like was confusing, meaning people would define it different ways, it was worship. Go on the internet, look up famous theologians and their definition of worship. Go look up pastors' definitions of worship, and you get a lot of different answers. And so what I want to do today is I want to look back at Matthew chapter 28, Let's look at verse 17, 
we're going to see where worship comes into play in the Great Commission, and then I want to kind of define what it is for you and explain how your church experience can be very beneficial to you and honoring to God. Matthew 28, verse 17. This is a verse I believe that we often overlook. It says, And when they, the disciples, saw him being Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And so in this moment, we're so quick to get to the Great Commission, to to go make disciples. But what we often overlook is the reality that Jesus gives the Great Commission to a specific group of people. He does not give the Great Commission to a group of smart people with a perfect plan. Jesus gives the Great Commission to a group of worshipers. The people that turned the world upside down, literally they, they, they began the church that we're sitting in right now in this moment. It's amazing and a miraculous work. But Jesus gave this mission to a group of worshipers, to people who had laid down their life for him. I, I imagine in this moment as they're worshiping him, literally before him, they're literally singing songs to Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus standing before you and you're so moved by the reality that God is in front of you that you just sing to him? And maybe you can't sing, but Jesus doesn't care, right? For Jesus, it's the effort that counts. But I want to explain today what is worshiping. What are they doing in this moment before Jesus and how can we worship? So I want to define worship really quick. What is worship? First, worship is essentially translated to mean to bow down. What worship means is to bow down before something, right? So worship is kind of described as like this posture, right? Like almost like like bowing face down before something to show reverence to how good it really is. But I want to give you a definition of it this morning as well. And this is my definition. There's a lot of definitions about this, but I like this definition that biblical worship is joyful and complete surrender to our worthy God. And so if we want to worship Jesus in this place every single Sunday, if we want people to come in and watch us worshiping him, what that means is that we are joyful and completely surrendered in everything of our life to a God that we have found to be most worthy. And so I want to define each piece of that really quick because there's three critical terms in there. Number one, worthy. We worship God because he deserves to be worshiped. In Isaiah 25, verse 1, it says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful, and sure. Church, we worship God this morning because he's not only real, but he's good, and he's holy, and he's perfect, and he always comes through for us, maybe not in the way that we want him sometimes to come through, but God always comes through for his people. God is the real deal. And God, think about this, God must demand that we worship him, because when God says, worship me, what he's saying is, I am worthy to be worshiped. If God did not command us to worship, then he would be a liar, Because he's worthy to be worshipped and he's worthy to be praised. He's worthy for us to give our lives to him. He created us. He's given us every single thing that we have. God is not like needy where he like needs you to affirm him, right? You know, I think we're all there sometimes. Like you ever been having a bad day and you just, 
you just need a compliment, right? You ever have one of those days, you know? And it's not just girls. We think that's girls, but it's got, got, we don't say it, but sometimes, you know, it's like, man, you've been working out, you know? It's like, it's amazing, like, it's vain, I know, and it's wrong, but it makes you feel better, doesn't it, you know? It's like, man, you got some, ga- I can see some gains on you, you know? You ever be like, I just, I just need a compliment, you know? It's like, man, like, you've, I've been really noticing good things in your life that it builds us up. But God's not needy. It just makes sense to worship God. Number two, worship is worthy, but it's also complete surrender. And this is what I, man, in my life, I've, I've struggled so often to realize this, the complete surrender, meaning worship is all of your life. That this service is like a springboard for us, but what happens in this room should change every other minute of our week and everything else that we do. In Romans 12, 1, the Apostle Paul says, we actually studied this a few weeks ago. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so what he says is your entire life is worship and every decision that we make is worship. And what you need to realize this morning is literally everything you do in your life reflects something that you love. Our outer life is born out of our inner loves and affections and Christ is calling us to bring those affections to him because he is worthy. And so it's complete surrender, meaning if you raise your hand during worship music, if that's truly a genuine response, that is a form of worship. If it's giving money to God's church and his mission, if you're surrendering your money to him, that is worship. If it's turning from sin and turning to holiness and turning to God, that is worship because you're allowing Jesus to dictate what you do in your life. If you love your spouse during a really difficult part of your marriage, because that's what God would want you to do, that is worship. If you show up to church sometimes because you don't maybe feel like it, but you know there's people there that need your presence, that need your encouragement, that's worship. Worship is worthy because he deserves it, but it's also complete surrender. And here's the third one that most people miss. I think most people in our culture miss this one primarily. Worship is joyful. It's not forced, right? As I said, we're not, we're not holy hostages here this morning, right? Like it's not like we have to be here. You would not be unsaved if you didn't show up to church today, which can I just say right now, it's amazing that we're all here together in this room because you don't have to be here. That's like, like there was a day in America, like the 1950s maybe, where, you know, if you wanted to be successful, you know, you had to go to church because it was the right thing to do and people might be skeptical of you if you didn't go to church. But now it's like, you're kind of weird if you go to church, right? I mean, you know that. If you live in the real, it's kind of weird, right? And so we're here because we actually want to be here. Like we're here, like you got up today, you got dressed, you loaded the kids in the car, you fought with your spouse on the way because you had to get here, you know? Because you wanted to be here. In Psalm 63 verse 3 it says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Have you seen God's goodness in your life? And God is the only good constant thing in my life. 
I was reflecting on this a few days ago of all the things that God has brought me through. And I, I love journaling, not because I'm a good journaler. I'm, I kind of have to force myself to do it. But it just reminds me because I can go back and look at seasons of life and it always works out. And it doesn't work out because I have a perfect plan for my life, but I see God's handprint all over my life. And we don't just enjoy worshiping God, we also benefit from it. That's amazing. Like we benefit from being here. It turns our eyes from the things of the world which so often corrupt us and ruin us and seek to destroy us. And it builds something good in our life. But I'll be honest with you this morning. Worship is biblical or it's joyful and complete surrender to our worthy God. But, but I don't like my definition enough. And so I want to show you a story. Really. Go to Luke 7. Sometimes... Um, There are things in the Bible, there are concepts that are so wonderful and so beautiful that our words fall short. And I do believe this morning my definition falls short. So I want to show you one of my favorite images in all the Bible of worship. And I want to root our worship in this. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. This is one of my favorite stories, but it's not one of the more common stories, I don't think, in, in Scripture that we know. And what I want you to know this morning as I read this is that this is what worship should look like. If you struggle for a definition of how we should live and how we should posture our lives, this is it right here. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. It says, One of the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of Jesus' day, who looked good on the outside but were corrupt on the inside, asked to eat with him being Jesus. And so Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, which means he's eating with them, he's conversing with him. And behold, a woman of the city, get this, who was a sinner. What that probably means is that she was a sexually immoral woman, which women were not as respected back then as they are today. And so imagine a woman back in the first century and a woman who like the the only thing the Bible can describe her as is a sinful woman. That's how the world viewed her. When she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And what that would have is that this was probably a poor woman. She didn't have a lot of money, and for her to have this kind of ointment, it would have been her most prized possession, and all of her money and investment would have been in this ointment. Verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. So this woman sees Jesus. She, she knows who he is, and she goes to Jesus, and she brings her most prized possession. And when she gets there, all she, she's just weeping at him. She's, she's weeping at his presence and that she is standing before the living God. It says, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. So she doesn't have water, but that's okay because her tears are going to provide the moisture on his feet. And she doesn't have a towel, but that's okay because she's going to take her long, long hair and she's going to clean the feet of Jesus because she knew she wasn't worthy to put oil on his head. So she's just going to do it on her feet. She doesn't want to look at him because she's not worthy because she's sinful. And she's weeping before him and her tears are falling on his feet. And she takes her hair and she's washing his feet with her hair. And not only that, but she starts, it says, verse 20, and kissed his feet. 
and, to, and anointed them with the ointment. But look at how the Pharisee responds in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man Jesus were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He says a woman like this isn't worthy to come to God. Verse 40, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, one of his disciples, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And so Jesus says, hey, Simon, you see what's happening here? I'm going to teach you a lesson in this moment. Verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman, this, this sinful woman? He says, I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. I read that story this week, and I thought, man, God, I, I don't know if my worship recently has been worthy of you. I think we can learn a lot in this passage, but I think one of the key lessons we learned here is that true worship is focused on total surrender to God and not impressing people. And here's the hard part for us, especially those of us, because, you know, I care what people think about me, you know? I, I care what they think about me. And even when I'm trying to honor God with my life or worship him or, or praise him with my life, I, I, I kind of still care what they think about me. And in this moment, she's literally kissing his feet and washing them with her hair. She's being kind of crazy, but, but she doesn't care. Everyone around her thinks she's crazy. And she's lost her mind, but she does not care. Francis Chan, a well-known pastor, says there's something wrong if our life makes sense to unbelievers. Christian, make sure you have some crazy in your life. Make sure you have some crazy. Make sure everything you do does not make sense to the people around you because those are the ways, I think, often where we really show that we value Jesus above everything else. Make sure you have some crazy in your life. Make sure you're doing some things that maybe don't make sense to the people around you because those are the things that wake up your faith. But number two, I think we learned this as well in this story, that true worship has sound doctrine and also sound affection. Can I be honest with you for a second? You're like, no, John, lie to me. You're the preacher, just lie, yeah. Let me be honest. So you're in a Baptist church right now, and you know that. 
And um, if you had to guess between having good doctrine and maybe sound expression and affection and emotion for the Lord, right? Which one of those two do Baptists tend to do better at? Let's just list it out. Doctrine, doctrine. Yeah, not a single person said affection, right? A lot of times Baptists tend to be not reserved people, but we worship in that way to a degree. Baptists are a great tradition in many ways, and one of those things is I, I do think by God's grace, we, we tend to have good doctrine. We, we don't tend to cave when the world changes its mind on stuff, and we don't care if we're in some ways out of step with the times. We're following Jesus. We're not following the world, and we don't care about that. But sometimes when it comes to affection, I think we often miss that. But what we see here in this moment is this woman has, has both. You see, she has good doctrine because she knows that Jesus is God. In this moment, her doctrine is right. She has right, proper belief. And you need proper belief in this life if you're going to really worship Jesus. In John 4, 23, uh, Jesus says, you must worship me in spirit and in truth. And so what he means is you need right belief. You can't just have whatever theology and whatever doctrine you want. Our churches need to reflect scripture, not the culture. And so it's important that we do things the right way. It's important that we honor God. It's important that we uphold doctrine. It's important that we preach on sin. It's important that we preach on the fact that God wants us to grow. It's important to do those things. But this woman's affections also match her doctrines. She is kissing his feet. She's weeping. Her her affections match her doctrine. And so let me say it like this, church, and I understand because I'm this way as well. Let's not be uptight for Jesus, right? Let's not be uptight for Jesus. I don't want to talk about one other thing that I think people often think about, but we often, you know, maybe we don't want to bring it up for, for whatever reason. Uh, people often ask about, like, raising their hands during worship, right? Raise your hand if you've ever, like, seen someone raising their hands during worship or even thought to yourself, should I or should I not be raising my hand? Like, raise your hand. Have you ever thought that? Raise your hand, right? Just about everybody. We often think about it. We don't talk about it, right? So let me offer some perspective on this really quick, right? And this is, this is not a rule, right, because we're not legalistic. But, but let me explain to you, like, you'll often see me. I'm the weird guy at the front raising my hands, right? Right? But that's me. I'm the weird guy at the front raising my hands. And let me tell you one of the reasons why I raise my hands. It's because of this. Because I think in my natural makeup, I am the least likely person to raise my hands during worship. And that's actually why I do it. I'm a laid back guy, you know, generally. I'm not generally considered an emotion. No one's ever said, John, you're an emotional person, ever. One time. I've never been accused of that, okay? And I'm white, okay? So like, I don't dance. I don't dance because I'm Baptist. I don't dance because I'm white. That's why I don't dance, right? You can be a Baptist and dance. That's totally cool, right? But, but I'm white and I'm not good at dancing and my body does. I don't have like that smooth. Like, when you dance, it's got to be smooth. And I'm not smooth, you know? If, if you're not smooth, you look robotic, you know? And so if I try to dance, I look like a robot, you know? And so, but, but once again, because of that, I'm the kind of person, like I'm, I'm not the likely person to raise my hands during worship, but, but that's one of the reasons why, at least for me, I feel compelled to do it. Because you know what raising your hands signifies? I mean, think about war. It's surrender. And so for, for me in my life, I'm just so afraid of being the rigid Pharisee. 
And I'm not saying that's who you are if you don't raise your hands, right? For some people, you just like to sit there and take in the music, and that's cool. And for, and for some of you, you like to sit down and think about it. And, and for some of you, you, you do the half raise. You do this. I like doing this too, right? You know, some of you go two hands. Some of you go one hand, right? Some of you just sing really, really loud. You know, and we can hear you, and you sound beautiful, right? We do it all different ways. But whatever you do and however you respond, let it be Surrender. Because worship is not observance, it's surrender. And sometimes worship is doing what feels uncomfortable because you trust that if you honor God in every circumstance, that he will come through for you and that he will bless you. And so as we draw to a close, just really quick, I'm going to go over, as we close, every area of our worship service on a normal Sunday morning. And I want you to see how everything we do is intentionally, not ritual, but everything that we do is a reflection of true worship. That every aspect of our service is an opportunity for us to come together in the public assembly, like scripture says, and to surrender together because that is a really powerful thing. But as I read these things and cover these things, I want you to be thinking one thing as I say every one of these things. What would kissing the feet of Jesus look like in our Sunday gatherings? I know a lot of us are Baptists and a lot of us are reserved and a lot of us are uncertain about a lot of things in this place. But if we were to be like this woman, what would this look like every week? What would be different? Let's look at like music, right? Man, music and worship is like peanut butter and jelly. It goes together so well. In Psalm 149, verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. When we sing, when we worship, it's surrender. We're surrendering to the words that we're singing, and we're not just singing to each other, we're literally directing our words to Jesus. We have moments of prayer during our service, and and prayer is an act of surrender because we're, we're saying, Jesus, you control everything. And so when you pray to God, really what you're doing is you're you're surrendering. You say, God, I acknowledge you're the one that changes things, not me. So I come to you. And then we come to preaching. Preaching, which listening to the word of God being preached. We get up here, man, we, we try to do our best. Sometimes it's better than other times. but it's just joyful surrender to God's truth. We, we dial in, we focus, we're, we're not on our phones, we're not wandering around the back because God's truth is a big deal. And by sitting and listening is an act of surrender, isn't it? And we don't just listen to sermons and we don't just um, learn information. Like we're actually just enjoying the reality that God's word is being proclaimed and it's washing over us. This world believes in nothing. There's no truth in our culture. But in God's word, there is perfect truth. 
And that's why it endures. And so we surrender by sitting under the preached word of God. And then we come to the Lord's Supper, which we're going to take here in a second, where we surrender to the gospel. And when we walk to the table, when we take the Lord's Supper, what it's saying is, Jesus, you're the only place salvation is found. I'm here because I looked everywhere else and I only found it in you. My repentance and my salvation is birthed in you. And then we pass the plates, right? Which I'll just pass the plates, you know, the offering, the giving. But in that moment, for those of us that are members of the church, we just joyfully surrender our money. Because like, man, God gave me 100% of my money. The least I can do is maybe give him 10% back in a tithe, you know? If I was God, I would require at least 50%, right? If, if I was God, right? But, I, but thankfully, I'm not God, you know, because you get more money, right? but it's surrender. Or maybe you serve on one of our serve teams at our Sunday squad or the kids ministry or in a community group or you're running slides or you're on the music team or you're helping with the service in some way. You're surrendering your time to honor God. You're, you're loving the people in this room as an act of surrender to him. Church, if there ever comes a day where something we do here is what we do just because we do it, we will stop it in a heartbeat. It's all worship. And so as we close today, I, I want to close in a certain way because my definition of worship is not good enough for Jesus. There was a song that God placed on my heart that we often sing. I even listened to this song on repeat as I, I wrote this sermon because I've never heard a song that better describes really what worship is. You've probably heard it before. It says, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. I just love it because it reminds us that it is not breathing that sustains our life. It's the oxygen that God first put in our lungs and the lungs that he gave us that sustain us. You could breathe all you wanted, but if oxygen didn't exist, we would not live. And so we, we praise him with everything in our life because he has given us everything in our life. Father, we thank you for this moment, God. God, worship is everything that we do. And it's crazy, God, that in this moment, worshiping somebody else is an enjoyable experience, God, but this is where we need to be, God. God, you give us everything. And so we give you back just a little portion of that. God, help us to worship you better. Or teach us to kiss your feet to cry our tears onto your feet and then to wash it off with our hair. God, may we be like the sinful, unworthy woman who worshiped you completely.